Today's show is brought to you by the new podcast, Dog Smarts. Each episode features leading researchers and academics that tackle the questions of language, memory, intelligence, and even love as they pertain to our dogs. Subscribe to Dog Smarts on iTunes now. Our episode is also sponsored by a product I genuinely love, which is not something that I can say about a lot of products. It's the Great Courses Plus video learning service. These are hundreds of lectures by top professors on anything that your nerdy heart desires to learn, from cooking to calculus. No tests, no expectations. You watch whenever and wherever you like on any device. For example, uh, one of their courses is Your Deceptive Mind, which is a brilliant, comprehensive look at all the ways we're bad at thinking, in case you hadn't already figured that out from social media. And now, The Great Courses Plus is offering our listeners a chance to stream hundreds of their courses, including Your Deceptive Mind, which is a $215 value for free when you go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash think. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash think think. Hi there, I'm Jason Gotts, and you're listening to Think Again, a Big Think podcast. Since 2008, Big Think has been sharing big ideas from some of the most creative thinkers around. On the Think Again podcast, we get out of our comfort zone, surprising our guests and me, your host, with unexpected conversation starters from Big Think's vast interview archives, ideas that neither my guest nor I came here prepared to discuss. And today I'm very, very happy that my guest is actress and author Mary Louise Parker. She's won many awards, uh, Tony, Obie, Golden Globe, Emmy, for roles in the Showtime series Weeds, the TV miniseries of Angels in America, and the play Proof, among other things. Unbeknownst to many people until now, she's also a seriously talented writer. Her first book, Dear Mr. You, is a series of letters to men, real and hypothetical, living and dead, who have had a meaningful impact on her life. Welcome to Think Again, Mary Louise. Thank you. Thank you so much. I had many thoughts about your book, which I really enjoyed. One thing that really struck me was that the whole thing felt like an extended exercise in gratitude. And if I'm not mistaken or projecting this onto, onto the book from my own way of dealing with gratitude, it was also kind of like an active practice of gratitude in trying to recall some of these people and sort of not be ungrateful, I guess, by bringing them back to life. That's really so much better stated than I've ever stated it uh, when asked what it's about. But uh, yeah, I think the root of it is is gratitude and I wanted it to be positive and I wanted to put something in the world that was, you know, I didn't want it there to be anything petty or I wanted it to be shedding light on these little moments. I don't know. They, they're the kind of things that you don't necessarily think of writing a chapter in a book about them. But that's why I wanted to sort of, you know, unpack them and look at them and see what's beautiful about them and why they haunt me. There seems to be this theme running through as well, which must be something that you think about a lot, about how emotion is often inconvenient and doesn't look the way that it's people expect it to look. You know, that to really live in the moments of your life, you have to be uh, impolite, you know? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, and also to understand other people's shortcomings or the person at the deli or whatever who 
is giving you attitude. You don't know what they went through that morning, and it's just, you, you never know what anyone went through that yeah. morning necessarily. There's this great book out this year, The Short and Tragic Life of Robert Peace. I don't know if you read that. It's I, a beautiful book by Jeff Hobbs. Okay. And it's it's a devastating book, and at at the end, I mean, without giving too much away, well, the title gives it away. But the young man dies, and his mother, after identifying his body, has to drive directly to work and work in a cafeteria, and that's the kind of thing that that image, you know, certainly, it's the kind of thing that I think about, and then when when hit with an image like that, I feel like I've never actually considered it. You know, and yeah. it makes you think about every single person, you know, who you might have rolled your eyes at because they didn't smile at you when you said good morning when they were like giving you your coffee or whatever. Yeah. Sometimes I think, do I have to learn this 8,000 <laughs> times, you know? Yeah. Did it not sink in the other 7,000? I just, you know. Right. You know, you want to give people a chance and you want to, and that's where having children, it's wonderful because in, in hopefully teaching them certain things, you get to hear them again and you, you have to, it forces you to articulate them. And also when you articulate them in a way that you're not proud of, then you have to sort of look at that as well, you know? Yeah, every, uh, everything comes back yeah. at you from them, right? Yeah, it so. does. I know, I mean, I know I've had that experience with my own son multiple times where, like, I say something to him and then he starts crying and I'm like, oh, yeah. my God, you know, like, I didn't understand the impact right. of my words. I'm so right. flippant. I'm so, right. you know, yeah. Yeah. How old is he? He's eight. Yeah, it only gets worse. <laughs> it only gets worse. Great, Thank but, you. I, but I mean, hopefully, if you've, if you've, I think everything goes in the chip, right? So I think whatever you're doing now, that's right and that's positive, that'll be in there too. So when those moments do happen, that also teaches them something about empathy, and that also teaches them something about how other people have a threshold for your behavior, or or that people yeah. just that people you love make mistakes, and people yeah. you love say dumb stuff. Yeah, I mean, thus far, I don't think we're complete failures as parents. I'm, me, I'm me, sure me and my you're wife. not. I'm sure I could top you like no problem. I mean, problem. we could be well on our way, but we'll see. <laughs> so the next thing I wanted to do is ask you to read a short passage from your book. Mm -hmm. I think all we really need to say about it is it's written to a friend who wasn't in her life long enough. Mm. This is from Dear Man Out of Time. Part of why we can't explain the origin of language is our reaction to perceived truth. If words were entirely reliable, they would have evolved as the most efficient means of communication, but they haven't because humans lie. An ape makes a sound or gesture to another ape signaling that it wants a banana. It gets the banana or not, but the communication is clear. An ape would never say in ape speak, your socks say a lot about you and I am intrigued. Would you mind handing me that banana? Despite the fact that animals do deceive one another, they are resistant to deceit when they sense it. An ape would simply ignore a communication that was too convoluted, which I think would be a big fat relief. Humans are saddled with so many terrific ways of overcomplicating what we want. I will give you $5 for that banana, or how come Jolene gets a banana and I don't? Or even, I think we can both agree that after what happened last night, you owe me a fucking banana. <laughs> All of this takes us further away from what is ultimately 
banana, give it. We have all these fancy ways to say things, so why do we end up walking away from a simple interaction wondering, what did they mean by that? I don't know what made me want to sit there next to you or why talking to you felt so energizing. Is it how you were stringing words together or what was behind those words or both? I didn't need to interpret you. I wanted to take your hand and kept touching your arm. I nearly grasped it at one point, but the way you would with a brother or a long lost friend. It was everything minus the one thing that usually ruins it all in the end. I don't know what you call the sum of that. So that is one among many beautiful passages in this book. What really strikes me about that is that, you know, on the one hand you're saying that animal communication is very simple and lacks, you know, monkeys don't have the ability to lie, apes don't have the ability to lie or understand. Well, they do lie, you flatter. say, but <laughs> no, right, exactly. And that that's a good thing. And yet you also seem to be at the same time relishing the complexity mm. and the kind of confusingness of, mm -hmm. and the kind of mystery, I guess, of human discourse, yeah? Right. In, in communicating, I think too much emphasis is put on being liked, being likable. And I think you can be polite, and I think you can be kind without necessarily needing to win votes all the time. Right. Especially for women, though I don't, I don't think it's wildly gender-specific, but in my line of work, I've noticed at work you know, a woman can do something and she's kind of a little crazy or demanding and a man is, you yeah. know, clear. And women I get told to smile a lot more than yeah. men do. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I know this because I'm, I'm extremely direct and extremely clear about what I am trying to do or say at work. Not so much in the rest of my life. I can be a massive wimp sometimes. I can be, sometimes I can be very conflicted and second guess myself a million times. But at work, it's, it's really like, I really don't care if you like me or not. Right. Obviously, at a certain point, I do. And I have very thin skin and my feelings get hurt very easily. But when I'm trying to argue a point about what I'm trying to communicate or achieve in the work, I really don't care. Yeah. what anyone thinks. And I, I think that people do try to, there is too much emphasis on being liked and, and you know, I don't have any social media or whatever, but I do find that whole likes thing, I find it pretty vulgar. Yeah, I mean the internet and social media are, are an engine for kind of, yeah, fueling some of the worst impulses of people in terms of opinions and gossip. And uh, yeah, like yeah, I agree. And I, I'm, I'm not quite sure what what one gets out of it. I feel like for the homebound, <laughs> the elderly, I think it's awesome to sit there and see pictures of your kids and see little videos and things like that. You know, my friends, would I want to have some sort of like app on my phone so I can see their tuna salad right. or their sonogram or the glasses? They just not really. You know, I'll tell no. you a weird I'll tell you a weird case in which it surprised me real quick and then we'll get to the other part of the show, but my sister passed away last year and she she had you know her life intersected with all these people who I didn't know and on Facebook you can create a page for somebody like friends of blah 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 and so around that time like I made a page on Facebook for her and was able to kind of peripherally let the various friends know like about this thing through Facebook and it managed to bring together this massive 
far-flung community of people from Santa Fe mm. to Chicago who knew and loved her and shared pictures, people from all aspects of her life who I had no idea about that I couldn't, we, there was no way to really do that in person. A lot well, of these you people just changed my mind. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it that's, changed that's, my that's, mind. That's, I, that's pretty remarkable. That's astonishing. And that never occurred to me. Me either until it happened. So yeah. just, yeah. No, Internet that makes can me rethink you. it. <laughs> um, cool. So I, I'm probably not going to sign up today, but that that yeah, that makes actually really sound sense. On on that note, let's see what uh, let's take a look at the first of the surprise videos they have for us and okay. see what what they've got us awesome. talking about. This would be from Henry Rollins, and it's called "Music is Powerful, But It Can't Stop a War." But before that, another quick word from our amazing sponsors. Does my dog understand what I'm saying? Can my dog sense when I'm sad? Can nutrition have a positive impact on my dog's cognitive health? If you've asked yourself these very questions, you need to tune into the podcast Dog Smarts, hosted by leading author and professor of cognitive neuroscience at Duke University, Dr. Brian Hare. Each episode of Dog Smarts brings together the brightest researchers and academics to discuss what's really going on in your dog's brain. Download and subscribe to Dog Smarts on iTunes now. And now let's get back to that surprise clip and the rest of my conversation with actress Mary Louise Parker. Is music a viable force for change? To a certain degree, yes, maybe in pop culture. But if a song or an artist could stop a war, Bob Dylan and Bob Marley would have. If those songs couldn't stop Vietnam, then songs, no, they can't stop a war. Can they mobilize people? Eh, to a certain degree, maybe for Monday Night Football. But to turn over a government? No. But you have to rally the troops somehow. Look at buglers, bagpipes, songs. In the Civil War, you had you know, fife and drum, you had the rebel yell, you had melody, you had song. It galvanizes people. And I think you can always fall back on the idea that you don't have to necessarily change the world when you can change worlds. If you can get to one person. I do with my little radio show. I have a radio show on, on a national public radio station called KCRW. The best letters I get is, I'm 16 years old and you turn me on to John Coltrane. Got him. So we just open that young person's mind up to bebop. Let it spread like a virus. You can change minds with your stardom or your notoriety. Oh my God, what an articulate man. He, I loved what he said, the way he, he was listing the things that do have such an effect, that, that do resonate, that are part of the human experience. And the way he was talking about buglers, he was talking about it, and also Jody's. You know, that's what they do. I don't do you know, know what, what that Jody's is. are? What's a Jody? Well, that's from yeah. a military family. It's when they when they sing, they do those chants when they're running, like, oh, okay. I got a friend who lives on the hill. You know, and that somebody's calling out and the other one's answering it. Right. You know, it's almost like the, the American version of the Kirtan. Right. You know? And I agree with what he's saying, which he, he contradicted himself beautifully <laughs> and accurately, because he what he says is, yeah, on a macro level, no, but on a micro level, yes. Right. And if you could reach everyone, you know, on that micro level, perhaps you could affect a certain amount of change. But but as he said, if Bob Marley can't do it, you know, and I don't know if you've seen that that amazing documentary about him. Oh my God, I have. Is it the one where it's is just it, mind blowing? Is, is that the one where he's like 
he's like, Ja make all them songs. Yeah. You know, like yeah, I yeah, don't yeah, I yeah. don't write anything. Ja yeah. puts it in my head. And his mom is on well, there. Well when all he the time. when he is gets up and one? he performs and he brings up, you know, these two feuding parties and they embrace. It's it, if it's just yes. as he said, if Bob Marley can't do it, how will it happen? And yeah. but you know, it's I've just been in a third world country. There's a massive statue of Bob Marley that says "One Love" on it. You know, in in a country where there's a lot of political unrest, and right. that that on a micro level again, that does affect everyone who sees it. Will it stop the war? Probably not. But I think I, I think what he's saying, and I might be projecting. He he was he was giving examples of people who use that power, musicians who use that right. to, to a greater good, and I think he's saying you know the more that can happen, maybe the more change can be affected. And I yeah, that's fairly brilliant. I think that should be a public service announcement. <laughs> <laughs> well, Henry and, Rollins and, for president. Let's just yeah, knock it out right now. Yeah, actually, uh, when we interviewed him, one of the first articles I wrote about that interview was Henry Rollins for president. You did? Yeah. Okay. Well, I just I just seconded you. Because I yeah he's 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 something um, yeah I mean so I mean there's that sort of utilitarian approach where artists use their sort of name recognition to promote causes which I think is a good thing for sure mm-hmm. Bono you know um, promoting his causes in Africa and so on and then there's that other thing of like what is the impact of the art itself and I think a lot about how you know, that's really difficult to measure. And we're in this weird moment in history where measurement has become such a big deal, you know, big data. And like Mm. everyone is kind of scrambling around trying to prove that the worthwhile things are the things that can be measured kind of. Let let me say industry seems to be spending a lot of, you know, focusing a lot of its energies on measuring everything and, and supporting things that are measurable. Whereas the impact of art and music happens at the level of the individual human heart and in terms of its broad impact, it's it's very, very difficult to, yeah. to pinpoint. Yeah, you know? I mean, I, I spend an inordinate amount of time asking myself, oh, what was the point of that? Or is that enough? And this past summer was uh, at a school in Uganda and a woman at my son, my kid's school had saved throughout the year these, she knew I was going, these art supplies for me. And I wasn't able to bring tons of stuff to the kids, but I brought a a bunch of colored pencils and magic markers and some paper and things like that. And these are kids who don't have anything to play with necessarily, you know, a soccer ball and have to share books and share pencils and, you know, eat the exact same thing at all three meals. And I, one day, I also got this little um, uh, dock and I, because I thought I wanted to have music, so I went into what is called the Art Center that you know some very lovely organization in New York City paid to build, but of course couldn't put anything in it. Right. <laughs> and I just plugged in, you know, I put in Inner Visions, you know, oh, Stevie sure. Wonder, yeah. and I had got spread out some paper, and the ki- kids trickled in one by one, and pretty soon, you know, the floor was covered with kids from two to eighteen. Yeah. Everybody totally quiet listening to the music and drawing and the, I made a little video of it and this one little boy's face that I kept zeroing in on and the way he's 
referring to his painting, it's it's odd. It's like there, there's a certain kind of posture that um, um, visual artists take that I've seen before, and I'm not a visual artist, but the way they refer to their work, and almost it's almost like a physical, they have some sense of distance from uh -huh. it when they're talking about it, and they're like, it's almost as though there's some sort of like, atmosphere in between themselves and their work when they're talking to it. And he was talking about it and I thought, holy shit, that kid, he's an artist, you know? And I don't know, that might be his first handful of, yeah. of crayons and his first, and looking at his little drawing, it was remarkable. And and then I wonder, oh God, but you know, it's not, it's not like I'm there every day. It's not like I can give him this, and, but you never know. Right. You never know. Maybe, no, he, I, maybe that experience will be something and he'll, Create more, and 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 does he need to be an artist to be a happy person? No, but maybe, you know, there's a road through that to something else, whereby he his experience of expressing himself that way uh, it gives him um, some sort of appetite for wanting to do it more. And if he does it more, does he then touch other people? That's possible. You know, right. it's possible. It wasn't possible without that woman having you know given me all those art supplies and my having you know, been able to give them to those kids. So I think any little tiny change, you know, I think goes in there. It can't be bad, right? I, 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 no, I, I totally agree. Um, I mean, that's the big thing, isn't it, right? It's really easy to get kind of paralyzed from doing anything at all because the problems in the world are so big. And I, I guess, you know, when, when he was on this show, um, Senator Cory Booker, from New Jersey who also thinks a lot about issues of inequality and has spent a lot of time working with people in the housing projects in, in Newark. You know, he was saying like, the fact that you can't do everything is way too often an excuse for doing nothing. You know, you have to do something, so. It can be overwhelming, because once you get started, you see, and especially spending time in third world countries, you go, it's not enough to get it there, to get this or that there. There, there needs to be... Infrastructure. Like, yeah. yeah. And you have to... And once you're on the ground, it's actually not that hard, but you need resources on the ground and you need people there to support and to yeah. help sustain whatever program you're, you're trying to implement. And it's not right. easy at all. And Which, which it's, then, it's then it's like... Exhausting, you know, yeah. Yeah, and like you have another career and another life, and so then there's this thing of like... If I were really going to do this yeah. all, thoroughly, I'd have to go do this full time kind yeah. of thing, right? A lot of times, in order to galvanize people, you need to get a bunch of famous people at an event, and right. I'm—that's not my greatest skill, you know. And I know people who are super good at it. They get on the phone, they get everybody there in like five minutes, and right. I just don't have that knack. And uh, so you're it's doing hard. what you it's, can. You're doing. Yeah. You're doing what you think you. Yeah. Should do. Yeah. yeah. All right, so let's see what we have next. Ralph Rivera, director of BBC Digital, and it's called 3D Virtual Reality is the Best Storytelling Technology We Have Ever Had. Ay, 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 let's see. Wow. Yeah. And we'll get to that surprise clip in just a second, but first, do you love learning things just to learn them? I think you probably do, or you wouldn't be listening to this show. So I want to recommend The Great Courses Plus. It's a streaming video learning service with hundreds of lectures on everything from astrophysics to British literature. No grades, no tests, just learning for the love of learning wherever and whenever you like. For me, that's the gym, 
where I am otherwise bored out of my mind, the Great Courses Plus has made me actually look forward to the gym. One particularly great course that they're running right now is The Deceptive Mind, taught by Dr. Stephen Novella. It's on cognitive biases and all the many fascinating ways that our minds lie to us and deceive us and confuse us. And I think it's especially useful at a moment when information and misinformation comes at us from so many directions and the lines between fact and opinion get so blurry. And now The Great Courses Plus is offering Think Again listeners a chance to stream hundreds of their courses, including Your Deceptive Mind, which is a $215 value, for free when you go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash think. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash think. And now let's get back to that surprise clip and to the rest of the conversation with Mary Louise Barker. The first wave of digital is going by where people have essentially been focused on digitizing what they already had. So you have newspapers online and radio online and TV online. And a lot of people first thought, well, that's it. And now they realize that's just the first part. So that's a significant shift that's occurring right now. Some of the immersive video, 360 video experience that we've done have been of uh, Syrian refugee camps so that you get more of a visceral feeling for what that feels like, what it looks like by being able, and by the way, it's not just the video, the sound, being able to get 360 sound so that when you turn your head, you're, you hear things in a, in a different way, so that experience has to come together. And that is much richer, has much more information packed in it, which gives you more context for the story. I think, yeah, let's start there. You you are making skeptical sounds. <laughs> I found that fairly terrifying um, for a number of reasons. One, I feel like the supposition that, that people, that we'll be able to galvanize people towards helping Syrian refugees by giving them the, the experience, the, the Disney experience, yeah. and I love Disney, <laughs> of being in a, in a refugee camp is somewhat absurd and a little bit vulgar because implicit in that is that you'll know what it's like to be in a refugee camp. Right. And I bristle at that and also the idea that, you know, during the Second World War, there weren't the kind of anecdotal and stock references and images of war that we have now to the point where war, war is, it's normal. You can see footage in a taxi cab of shots of a war movie and, and nobody really has so much of a reaction. But I don't know that that makes people necessarily, I, I don't know that that's creating some crazy anti-war movement. I don't know that that's creating right. an awareness or even fostering the awareness that this country has been at war forever right. and at times when one war was declared over there are still people dying and I think that there is a complete disconnect in this country and, and in life in general partly because of so much technology and I think when things are left to the imagination during the Second World War it's, they didn't have any of that and everyone was moved to go and right. you know volunteer and donate and women weren't wearing pantyhose because you know there, <laughs> right. there weren't you didn't do anything that was against the war movement. Everyone was our troops, fighting right, for our troops. Right, and right. the disconnect 
began, I think, with the Korean War and the, you know, naming it a, a conflict rather than a war. And it's like, oh, so there are different kinds of war. Yeah. You know, I, I think. I mean, I, in I World just, War II, at least, the enemy was fairly clear cut. Like yes. that was a relatively easy story to tell. Yes. You know, there were yes. bad guys, <laughs> for sure. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. But I still think <laughs> the fact that people are dying, soldiers are dying, our neighbors, friends, family, whatever, are dying in completely horrific and ruinous conditions. Yeah. And there's no, there's a complete disconnect from that. And if that's true, that the, you know, putting on the glasses and making you feel like, you know, you're going into the refugee land center of Disneyland. <laughs> right, right, right. I feel like if that's true, I want to see the result of that. And if that's true, I'll go work for him tomorrow. Like if he, if that's going to get everybody, make them understand it, or is it going to be, you can't tell me people aren't going to put those glasses on and go, cool, you know, like that they're, I just don't, yeah, 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 I just yeah. don't, I don't know that that's going I, to move people who weren't already so inclined to to want to help i think in some ways that takes it even further out of reality by placing it into some kind of nether reality that we haven't even we don't even have any sort of language for and we we haven't we don't have any research on how that affects people does that yeah. even come into the prefrontal cortex is that something that like stimulates your amygdala in the exact same way as like hearing a story secondhand about someone's brother? Right. I don't know. I mean, I think, I, first of all, yeah, I think there's a lot to study there and a lot that we don't know. I also agree that technology creates distance. I feel like the engine of that is economics. I think it's because the technologies are primarily owned by massive media companies that are trying to entertain people and make a lot of bucks. So the impulse behind even the creation of news at this point, which is a 24-hour monster that needs to be fed with content, you know, the impulse behind that is an economic, like it's, it's, it's like what's going to entertain the people, what's going to shock them, what's going to, you know, rather than some sort of benevolent humanistic impulse to try to make everybody care about refugees, you know? Yeah, I, I like what you said also about the news Two, the other night I was I was not feeling well and I woke up at like three and t I was like, maybe I'll watch TV, which is not something I do in the middle of the night, but I just really wasn't feeling well. And I, I'm also someone who actively avoids the news. I do not have it on in my home. I have quite detailed and thorough <laughs> reasoning for that. I do not have the news on in my house. Mm -hmm. And for, some, for whatever reason, I put it on and I went in the other room and I came back and I was like, oh, there's a national disaster. There's something. I came back, the, the guy is, the newscaster is talking and I see ticker tape on the bottom and I'm trying, frantically trying to read it because he's, he's speaking with such emphasis and such urgency. I thought there's been a, a bomb. There's something's happened in Midtown. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm listening a little bit longer. He's talking like about, about a parking situation. Like it's, a, and I realized, oh no, this is the news. This is why I don't watch this. Like he had me so convinced that something really intense was yeah. happening. And it's like, no, it's Fox. I mean, that's the thing. Like I, I feel like, look, I mean, great movies have affected the way that you think about things, right? in your life. I mean, there must have been a great movie that had some powerful impact on your 
sense of people or the world. Yeah, yeah. somewhat. No, yeah. Um, I mean, I just, I think that stories can impact us if they're told well and if they're told right. I'm skeptical about technology, not so much because I think technology is inherently always distancing, but because I don't think that people use it for the right reason. You know, uh -huh. I don't think they're telling the stories in order to change the world for the better, for the most part. I think just the presumption that bringing you further into the experience is going to give you greater empathy for it right. is not sound uh -huh. to me. Uh -huh. I think it might be actually be the opposite. That's interesting. Uh, because it's basically Leaving saying it up to the this is what it's like to be a refugee. And it's like, no, you can't really get that by putting on glasses. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. You, you, you can get a camp. I mean, but if it takes that to rally your sense of humanity and your sense of generosity, then... I mean, if you Maybe need the glasses too late for, for that, you. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you know, gotcha. I kind of have to question that also. Mary Louise Parker, it has been a great time, great privilege talking to you. I've had yeah, a yeah, likewise. Um, really, really enjoyed this. Thanks so much for coming on the thank show. Thank you, thank you. Pleasure was mine. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Think Again. Last week we had an amazing live show as part of NYC PodFest, and to everyone who came, thank you so much. I hope you had a great time. I know I did. If you are listening and loving this show, I urge you to go to iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on and just give us a quick review or even just a rating. Um, it makes a very big difference. It helps people find us. It really helps the show. Um, it's something simple you can do, and it would be greatly appreciated. Uh, next week, my guest is Jeff Dyer, who is an incredible writer and has just written a kind of travel memoir. It's a fascinating conversation, and I hope that you'll join us. <laughs>